Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with instant analysis of the 2020 edition of WWE Survivor Series. That's right, getting over is here just minutes after Survivor Series went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on WWE's latest pay-per-view as it looks to close out 2020 with a bang. And trust me, a lot happened at Survivor Series on Sunday night. We're going to break it all down momentarily, not long of a wait. Quick reminders. Number one, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet about the show and tweet about wrestling all week, we do polls pre and post show for pay-per-views. It's important that you guys contribute and vote. We're also doing year-end awards here at Getting Over, and I certainly want all of your input following us on Twitter and being able to converse that way will allow you to contribute contenders as well as vote for our actual awards in the month of December. And of course, if you are a first time listener, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio, hit that subscribe button and make sure you get getting over on your phone, on your streaming media device. However you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed so every new episode hits you right in the feel spot. So the longtime listeners know how we do it instant analysis style. We crack open a beer. I welcome my co-host and we get right into breaking down WWE Survivor Series. So there's no beer cracking sound. As you guys know, I have a, a litany of crowlers sitting in my refrigerator that I need to get through during this pandemic. So I opened one locally from Copper Point Brewing. Uh, it is a coffee lager. It's a really delicious beer. One of my favorites. And uh, yeah, so it's a 32 ounce. So there's going to be plenty of drinking going on during this episode. My co-host, of course, Chris Vanini, vintage Chris Vanini, who you can follow on Twitter at Chris Vanini. He is on the other end of the line. Chris, what are you drinking tonight? I am back to uh, the dark side uh, cider from Bishop Cider Company uh, here in Dallas, local place. So we've had some in the fridge for a while. So I figured I'd pull one out for this. And, and, and I know dark side is Star Wars, but darkness and everything, it kind of, it felt fitting with The Undertaker. So I decided to go with that. That's a really good decision. Is this a cider only type of place or do they make beer also? Uh, I believe they make all kinds of stuff. I have not checked it out in quite a while. We, we get it from a different, we get it from just a, a local place here, um, local store. So uh, gotcha. Sure. Well, I told you how to follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. I didn't tell you how you can follow the Silver King. You can do so at Silverstein Adam. But again, most importantly, follow the show at Getting Overcast. Now, let's hop into this instant analysis of WWE Survivor Series, Chris. And, you know, I think normally when we do this show, uh, we have expectations, right? Going into every pay-per-view. And I would say that given recent Survivor Series that WWE's put on, really, I think the last two years in particular, maybe the last three years, my hopes were high, right? Because I saw what they delivered even on occasion when there was lacking build. I would say this Survivor Series compared to those had even less build and potentially a little bit less excitement going in. You didn't have the big women's angle, right? With Becky Lynch getting her nose bloodied and not even wrestling, right? At that Survivor Series. You don't have a Brock Lesnar, Daniel Bryan, Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles match where you wonder what the hell is that going to look like? We kind of knew what Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre was going to look like before we even saw it. So let's talk pre-show grade because I did remember this week, folks, 
to uh, send over that poll on Twitter to see what you all thought going in. And this is what we got. 17% of you thought we would get an A show. 70% thought it would be a B show. And about, you know, 13% said it would be a C show. So none of you were saying DRF and most of you. I mean, you're talking 87% expected an A or B show going in. And Chris, even though this wasn't built very well and some of it was rushed, I had that same B expectation going in because basically that's what WWE's given us the last four pay-per-views, the last, last four months. They've given us anywhere between a B at worst if you're a harsh grader to an A if you're a generous grader pay-per-view across the board. It's been one of the better stretches of WWE major events. So that was my expectation going in. What was yours? Yeah, no, we, we talked about it uh, last week on the pod. I think you said B plus expectation. I, I had A minus. I, I was real excited for it. It, it, was, it was a different build, and I, I kind of liked that. We didn't get a lot of face-to-face. The Survivor Series teams had their own stories going on. They weren't about invasions. It felt I liked that it felt a little bit different going into this one. The only one they really hyped up in person was Drew and Roman. And I thought they did a really good job of that coming into this. So I, I had A minus expectations coming in. But but either way, we both had relatively relatively high. Even Drew and Roman, though, we only really got like 10 days of build. Right. Right. So it wasn't that strong of a card. The women's match, they hardly promoted at all. Not until Friday night. The, the tag team match, the actual New Day versus Street Profits, was one of the strongest that, that they actually built. And, and to be fair, the Survivor Series matches both had storylines going into them, but it, it was just nothing that felt to me like it was going to be a, a can't-miss, won't-forget type of pay-per-view. But still, like you said, I forgot if I, maybe I did say B+, but B+, B+. I thought it would be a damn good show. I was almost grading on a curve a little bit for WWE, which normally when I do that, I grade lower, right? I think like, oh, you know, they're going to disappoint me. So let me kind of give them a little bit more credit than I otherwise would. But no, recently, because of the pay-per-views in particular, because they have been so impressive, I kind of like gave them a little bit extra credit on Mm -hmm. the pre-show grade. I kind of said, you know what? This doesn't look like it's a great build, but it's going to, it's going to surprise me like the others have. But uh, as you'll see, and I'm I'm kind of teasing a little bit here, I think that there are certain shows that are better than the sum of their parts. And I also think there's pay-per-views that are worse than the sum of their parts. And that is how I put Survivor Series in perspective. And we'll get all into all the details momentarily. But in a general sense, as we kind of dive into the main event, we're going to start with the main event and we'll work our way down the card. But that's how I felt about it. It was not as good as the individual parts of the show were. I I, I mean, I, I guess I do separate it because of the nature of this show. It wasn't, it, it by design, nothing was interconnected. You know, even between feuds, even between different people on Raw outside of, I guess, the Survivor Series teams. So I, 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 I guess... I guess you might be right, but I guess I never really expected it coming into the show because this is a different kind of show. I didn't, you know, I'm not really thinking about how the card's going to lay out and what's going to happen. In my mind, I'm just thinking about every individual matchup and how it's generally unique because of the 
layout of this type of show. It's people we haven't seen fight in a while or, or, or ever or whatever. So I, I guess that's true. But I, to, to me, that doesn't it didn't that didn't take away from it. OK, well, we will get to that at the end. As I said, we're going to start with the main event of the show. We'll work our way all the way down the card. And then at the very end, we'll give final grades and final thoughts on Survivor Series. So, hey, let's get into the main event. And this may have been the main event. I was surprised it was the main event. It was the Undertaker's final farewell. That is the very last thing that we saw at Survivor Series this year. And I'm going to say it, man. I'm really surprised they put this in the final segment of a big four pay-per-view. And I wrote that down, that note, before the segment even happened. Um, They hardly mentioned it was coming up over the course of the show. I figured we'd get taker clips between matches. They would show all the guys commiserating backstage, all the special guests. They really didn't, despite all of the promotion and despite them putting it in the actual literal main event of the show, they didn't really do much on the pay-per-view to make it feel like it was The Undertaker's night, that it was as big of a deal as they were going to make it in the main event. And I just personally, I mean, we'll get into the details of it momentarily, but from that standpoint, to put this in the main event, look, I get it, all right? We talked about it, 30 years to the day, the same event he debuted at, he's basically retiring at. And Vince McMahon, this is his guy. Taker's his guy. Like out of everyone, there are people who left, people who threatened to leave but never did. Taker is Vince's guy. And he wanted to send him out in as epic a way as possible. So they did that, or they did what they thought they were doing to accomplish that. But it just felt weird. This should have been like a mid-show main event. Or, or, you know, the equivalent of a main event in the middle of the show should have been a focal point of the show, right smack in the middle of it. And instead, by leaving it for last, there was an anticipation and there was an expectation. And we'll get into the details momentarily, Chris, but I don't know that they ultimately delivered on that. So I kept going back and forth on whether or not this was going to be legit. And part of it is what you said, that they didn't really start talking about it leading up to the show. So then I was like, oh, is this maybe this isn't it? And as as they're introducing the people, I start convincing myself, okay, no, this isn't going to be it. This doesn't make sense. Why would they do it this way? And, and then as it kept going on, I go, okay, no, no, maybe, maybe this really isn't. Why, why they weren't going to work People Magazine, you know, or, or something like that. So it was very weird. And I'll get, I guess we'll get to our thoughts on exactly what it was. But in terms of it being last, in terms of it not being very promoted very much on the show, I think, and based on what happened, I think my biggest takeaway was this should have been a network special Saturday night. You can stretch it out a little bit more. You can do some other things. It just, it did not fit on a wrestling card. Kind of what you're saying. It was just, it was, it was strange. I think there was a different way. If this is the way they wanted to do it, I don't think you needed to do it at the event. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the key. You're kind of nailing it in terms of, 
what I'm thinking it should have been. So let's run through it really quick. And there's a kind of a lot to take in, but I'm not going to run down the whole list. We got Ric Flair, Kevin Nash, and Mick Foley, guys like that. Savio all Vega. Down, all the way down to, yeah, Savio Vega and then Midian with the Godwins, which was kind of funny. Uh, everyone, once they all got introduced, they cleared out of the ring, which I thought was weird. That was very weird. <laughs> why were they there if they're not going to be there? Uh, and then Vince McMahon was basically there after a video package aired. Suddenly Vince is in the ring. He's now reached the age, by the way, where he has drawn on eyebrows. I mean, he's 75. Like, I'm not going to crap on him for it. I'm just, it was very noticeable. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, Vince said Taker's legacy will live on eternally in WWE. Then he introduced Taker. They did the start of the theme on a Tesla coil. Okay. And they maxed out the pyro and the graphics and cool shit like him levitating up to the ring apron from where the steps would normally be. It was um, a hydraulic lift, it looked like. Uh, Vince disappeared. Smoke filled the ring. They piped in the chance. Uh, Taker cut a relatively short promo and he did it in character, which was not really a surprise. And he said it was time to let the Undertaker rest in peace. He tossed the mic. The piped in chance continued. A hologram of Paul Bearer showed up. Uh, and that was a nice touch. So credit for that. Uh, as he did his signature pose with one knee down, he rolled his eyes back. Uh, rest in peace, Bill Moody, by the way. Uh, he then st stayed basically in that same pose as the bell told a bunch of times. I thought it was going to go 21. It didn't. I don't know. I, th I don't know how many it was. But I, it was I lost count, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, he then ran his finger across his throat and walked up the ramp, left with a big fist at the top, just like, you know, he did. He has done every other time we expected him to retire or take a long period of time off. So this, Chris, for me, it was a mix of great, good, and disappointing. None of it was necessarily bad. I see people truly crapping on it online. I don't think it was actually bad, but the production was great. The execution of what they wanted to do, what they planned to do, was good. What was disappointing for me was the ideation of the entire thing. Maybe I've just been conditioned, at their fault, by the way, to expect more from decades of watching WWE. Maybe, as we talked about on this podcast in our Ultimate Preview, I had the idea of the Fiend Bray Wyatt so stuck in my head that not seeing it happen or not seeing something happen left me annoyed. But it just felt like it was a missed opportunity to do something more or to do something better. This guy's 30-year career ended with a taped cinematic match at a WrestleMania, and it was good. The Boneyard match was good, so there's no hate on it. It was very good. But it was a taped cinematic match, not in front of fans. And then a retirement in the Thunderdome with piped-in chants, without a crowd. All of his friends that they brought in, they could have had them surrounding the ring. Or if you didn't want to have them in the picture, you could have had them in the Thunderdome on the hard cam side. So when he walked out, you took a shot of them and could see they were all there. Maybe some of them are crying. Maybe some of them are cheering for him. Whatever the case. I think it was the issue of WWE deciding to do half of it about the man himself and half of it about the character of The Undertaker. Because of that, there was no consistency. They didn't go all in in either direction. I know we're in unprecedented times here with the pandemic, okay? But it was... It was anticlimactic, and I definitely would not have put it in the main event of a pay-per-view. I would have either done it in the middle of the show, 
or you truly gave a better suggestion, which is do an hour-long special on the WWE Network. They should have done it on Saturday or done it in the pre-show or not, not in the actual kickoff show, but in the hour leading up to it or end Survivor Series at 10 o'clock and then from 10 to 11, you have The Undertaker's Final Farewell as a special separate from the pay-per-view. And I know some of you may say that's nitpicking or that's silly. It's not because this is a wrestling pay-per-view and it's Survivor Series. And the true main event of the show was a forking banger. Yes, I'm going to use the good place language because I need to say that word, but I can't. (laughs) It was a banger, right? But then you go from a high of that to a kind of low of this. I didn't think that WWE, despite paying a ton of respect to The Undertaker and everything they did was respectful of him, I didn't feel like they did him, Mark Calloway, or the character, The Undertaker, the just do. Now, do I expect we'll get that at some point, Chris? Yes. Hall of Fame ceremony will be forthcoming. That will happen in front of fans um, you know, and, and his peers, and they will go all out for that. No question about it. But for this, it felt like they had it on their schedule to do his retirement on the 30th anniversary of his debut at Survivor Series, and they just didn't want to take it off the calendar, and they didn't want to change it or come up with something different. And for me, despite the quality production and the effort, they put a lot of effort into this. Despite all of that, it was a disappointment. I think, so you you made the comment about why not end it an hour early and then go into an Undertaker special thing afterward. I, 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 I assume they would make the case that that's what the Broken Skull session with Steve Austin thing is supposed to be. No, kind of yeah, reflecting screw that. His career. But no, it's, it's not the same thing. If you're going to bring in Ric Flair and Kevin Nash and Salvio Vega and the Godwins and the Godfather and all these people, which, by the way, I am personally uh, a bit uneasy about them bringing all these people in traveling right as, you know, COVID continues to get worse and putting Ric Flair around these people. We've talked about this before. But if you're going to do that and you know they're hanging out backstage and doing whatever together, what was the point of bringing them all together to not say anything and then leave and Vince does the intro. It, it was just, it was weird. There were some parts that were really good. The video package was great. I thought the entrance was great with the, with the coil and all that stuff. I thought that was really cool. And what basically from Taker's entrance, you know, what he said and he leaves, I thought that was fine. I, I, I think it, it was fine. It's on us for expecting them to, have done something, you know, with The Fiend or what happened. No, I don't think it's on us. I don't. Well, it's on us. And it's also a little bit on Bray Wyatt for kind of tweeting. I don't think it's on him. I think it's on WWE. It's on WWE for putting it in the main event of a pay-per-view. Well, it's on them. It is. uh, Okay, that's, that's... If that opened the show or was in the middle of the show or they separated it, like I'm talking about... Then uh, the it, expectation it, would have been, hey, they're just going to do a final farewell for The Undertaker. It, the thing is, this can't... Yeah, if you're going to put it... It shouldn't be on the show. But if you're going to put it on the show, it has to be the end. You, you can't say goodbye uh, to The Undertaker know. and do this emotional thing and then go on to a match after that. I, this is why I think it should have been a completely separate event. Do it on... Again, do it on Saturday. Do it in the Thunderdome. Have a giant round table with everybody talking, telling stories what they love about the undertaker, whatever. Like, again, how do you get all these people together 
and not have them like tell us some Undertaker stories. It was just to spend the money to fly all these people in to do virtually nothing with them was very surprising. That's also the moment when I realized that this was legit because I said when, when some of these entrances started going on, I was like, okay, this feels like one of those raw main events where they do something at the end and they keep the story going. That's when I was like, okay, yeah. he's not going to end. But as more and more and more people came out, and I realized, oh, okay, I don't think they're going to bring all these people in. Just they're not br- they're not bringing in Savio Vega and Midian. Yeah, for this, like it's <laughs> yeah. one thing. Look, Booker T's there a lot. JBL, they yeah. get a lot. A lot of those guys, they're not bringing those guys in. So that's know? when I was like, okay, yeah. this really is going to be the end. This isn't going to be the Fiend interferes and it sets up a match. If someone's going to interfere, it's going to be just he's going to put someone over and that's going to be the end of it. So we we did we didn't get that. It was. <laughs> I like that. I just going through my notes here. I like that Vince said WWF. Yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah, like yeah. we hadn't we hadn't seen that in a while. Uh, the the how did you feel about the crowd noise? I assume that was all fake and piped in and not from the people, the virtual fans. Oh but, yeah, no. That but was it, totally like you notice, like when he paused to like have the fans say thank you, Taker, but they're not actually there. So like in the context of like, you know. If you know you, it's it, you know it's crap. If that's you, that's well, the if, problem. Like if if you know nobody's there, it's weird. But there were moments where it did feel natural. So I think they, I think they executed what they wanted to do. I just don't think this is maybe what they should have done. That's what I'm saying. The execution, I give them a lot of credit for. They they had something that they wanted to do and they executed it well, but it did not hit, and that's the biggest issue. It, I don't want fake crowd. It's okay if you want to do a fake crowd chant of this is awesome or oohs and ahs or booing for a heel during a match. It's wrestling, right? We know it's fake. We know it's predetermined. We know all that. The Undertaker retiring, saying his final farewell. The Undertaker character, obviously, is a kayfabe character, but the man, it's real. And it's a genuine moment. And you want that genuine moment. And we didn't get it. They gave us a fake moment because people weren't actually there to celebrate it. And again, that's not WWE's fault. We're in a pandemic, right? But it is their fault that this is the way they decided to do it. There were, we mentioned it, we don't have to relitigate it, but again, separating it by an hour, doing a special instead of this, saying, hey, we're going to do this special and that's going to be his final farewell. And then at the first WrestleMania that has fans again, or the next Survivor Series that has fans again, a special farewell for The Undertaker, where fans get to appreciate him. You can do that. It's wrestling. No one cares. If, if uh, Aaron Rodgers retired from the Green Bay Packers tomorrow, and he said, you know what? I'm done. Th- that was my last game. And the fans cheered him. And then the opening day, uh, the kickoff game for the Packers next season, they wanted to honor Aaron Rodgers. Are people going to have a problem with that? No, it's the same idea. You can have that moment to say goodbye and then still get that moment to be honored. And that's what WWE just tried to fit it all into one. And again, it was mix of kayfabe and real. That's not that's not what we want in that moment, right? Like Sam and Jacket, we talk about it all the time. And I know that wasn't a real retirement, right? But if it was you weren't getting the world's strongest man talking. You were getting Mark Henry. But you have to make that choice. It can't be both. It can only be one or the other. 
and they tried to thread that needle and it just didn't work. So, I mean, look, I want to actually talk about the pay-per-view, right? Because there were matches that deserve our attention and our comments and our our thoughts and praise and, and hate and whatever the case. But I just think they kind of put the onus on themselves to deliver here. And I don't think they totally did. And I think that's a fair piece of commentary. It's not that it was bad. It wasn't insulting to The Undertaker. It wasn't insulting to the viewers. It just could have been, for all the effort they put in, done smarter and done better. Yeah, I mean, this was this uh, the kind of the last thing on this. I mean, this was an entire rollout. Again, they had Undertaker and People Magazine. They've got ESPN and everybody talking about this stuff. And my 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 biggest final reaction is just why now? Why would you do this now? Why would you not want to? Because they stuck to their guns. All the fans in there. Nobody yeah. really cares about a 30th anniversary, especially if nobody's there. It was just, it's so weird. I don't know why they did this. Honestly, I mean, honestly, you could say they, you you, you could argue that they robbed the fans of this moment. Like, that's kind of the whole deal. And yeah, that was my final takeaway. If, if you're going to do it like this, it's weird to main event the show with it the way they, again, had nobody talk. It was just, it was strange. It was fine. It wasn't bad. Could have been better. But more than anything, it just, it didn't need to happen. Uh, right now and in one little thing so the the, the little credit thing comes up in the corner and, i know and, and, and they he, went back they took it off the screen well right now. and he walks and he walks away and the camera doesn't move you see I know. him walk out the screen <laughs> and you see the fire and i was like that should be this is like that should be the final shot it should have faded there instead they show him walk to the continue to walk back to the gorilla position or whatever like you didn't need to do just this is nitpicky but like it was a great shot and you saw him walking away into the fire and that would just it would have again it wouldn't change anything but it was just something i wrote down in my notes that that was a really good shot and it should have been that should have been the, the last shot. yeah and again you know just for everyone listening the execution was good right the 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 effort they put in is commendable for someone of the undertaker stature right who who deserves to be praised and honored in that way but if you do it and it feels empty and it feels anticlimactic at the end, then what have you actually accomplished? And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they did something, but this just, for me, this just wasn't it. But that's it. We got to move on. We got to talk what, about the what, actual what, show. One quick thing. One quick thing while we're on Undertaker. What, what my very first, what, what's your first Undertaker memory as a fan? I, I'll tell you mine. Mine was my first ever wrestling memory. It was, I remember walking into the living room and like my dad had it on. It was Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker in your house, ground zero, 1997. And Shawn Michaels leans out. He's like falling out of the ring or whatever, trying to get out of the ring over the ropes, uh, over the bottom rope. And Undertaker grabs on his trunks and his ass, Shawn Michaels' ass pops up. That's my first pro wrestling memory. Undertaker pulling down Shawn Michaels' pants. So... Thank you for that memory, uh, Undertaker. <laughs> um, that that that's my first Undertaker and pro wrestling moment. What what's your first memory of the Undertaker? I don't really, I don't have a specific like first Undertaker memory. I can't necessarily think of the first time I saw him, or the first time I cared about him or thought he was special or anything like that. The Undertaker 
despite me liking him throughout his entire career and popping for the, the stories they did with him, how they booked him and everything, I, I was not an Undertaker fan. He was not one of my guys, right? Like I can tell you sure. Mick Foley or, or The Rock. I mean, I remember Rocky Maivia with The Rock or Steve Austin or, you know, Shawn Michaels the first time that I remember him. But The Undertaker just wasn't really that special to me personally. In terms of the context of the industry and WWE, he is that special. I fully recognize that. He's one of the greatest of all time. But I don't have that moment that sticks out. I mean, really, the first time that I truly gave a shit about The Undertaker was Hell in a Cell with Mankind. That that match is where I was like, whoa, this guy's brutal. And He's going to kick some ass and man, I should probably start liking him. And, you know, I think that took off with Mick Foley and, and it took off with The Undertaker as well. Like both of their careers just only went up to yep. another level from yep. there. But but prior to that, um, you know what? Honestly, I do have it. My first memory of The Undertaker. It was when there was The Undertaker and The Fake Undertaker, <laughs> where one wore. He should have uh, he should have been at the farewell here. Yeah, where one had gray cuffs and the other one had like purple cuffs. That is my very first memory of The Undertaker. I don't even know. I can't even tell you right now the context of that and like why that happened or um, I know why it happened, but like when it happened or what the resolution was. I mean, the resolution was The Undertaker winning the actual one. But that whole thing, that was the first time where I probably was interested in like, oh, what are they doing with this? But The Undertaker just never really hit for me. He, He was not one of my favorite wrestlers. But you know, as a character, you know, you could you could definitely make the argument he's the greatest character in WWE history. Yep. Yep. No doubt. All right. Let's move on to the actual main event, the in-ring main event of Survivor Series. Uh, world champion versus world champion. Roman Reigns, the universal champion on SmackDown, going up against Drew McIntyre, the WWE champion on Raw. Now, I did fail to mention this earlier in the show, but because we do the ultimate preview ahead of the go-home SmackDown, which we have to do, otherwise the runway wouldn't be there for you guys to actually listen to the episode for more than like 36 hours. Sometimes for certain matches, we do talk about what happened on the go-home SmackDown before we get into the match. So let's quickly do that here, and we'll do it a couple other times throughout the show. They had a contract signing, Chris, on SmackDown. Reigns was so effortlessly cool in this segment. (laughs) He strolled to the ring. He sat in the chair next to McIntyre instead of across from him, not just for proximity reasons, but because it was literally the head of the table. That's a really nice touch. Okay, I don't know if everyone caught that. Uh, He stared at McIntyre, ignored Adam Pearce. They both talked shit to each other in a real way with Reigns saying McIntyre was the right person in the right place, but at the wrong time. Reigns was definitely the stronger between the two in this segment. He laughed with Paul Heyman that McIntyre was basically the secondary champion, uh, the guy that WWE calls when Reigns is busy or is not available for whatever the case might be. This was such an incredible segment, and I'm glad that we at least get the chance to talk about it here. It gave us an even deeper look into Reigns' personality and his mental state as this new version of himself, and it felt so natural. This is really the best part because they weren't holding stick mics and talking to an arena. The ring was mic'd up. So they were just sitting there having a conversation. It felt so much more real. It's a very simple move, but it's a very smart decision that completely changed 
how badass this segment was and how it came across. Yep. It, it felt like they were just two guys talking crap to each other, sitting across the table from each other. And it, it it's not performative because they're not holding the mic. Roman looks so damn comfortable in this role. He just mm-hmm. gets to be so cool. He doesn't feel like he's putting on a face or anything like that. You 100% believe what he you believe that he believes what he's saying. You believe so, he's he's an ass in real life. Yes. It's yeah. he's he's just he's just every every week he's just he's killing it. And this was a really really great segment. Got me really excited for the match again. They had like 10 days of build for this. And I it got me real hyped going into the match. They did more in 10 days building this than they have done for certain storylines at other times. Like some of some of Dolph Ziggler's storylines have gotten like six weeks and they've had less build than Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre somehow. This they got us amped for this match. And in the on the pay-per-view, as they announced them, they brought them to the ring. They had them both raise the titles in each other's faces. This definitely had the big fight feel that you want. But it was also very old school at the beginning of the match with the guys using a lot of power moves to wear each other down. It was very like 1998, 1999, yeah. WWE, but that's not a bad thing. That's what you want from a couple of hosses, right? Going at, going at each other. Uh, McIntyre went on the first run. He ejected Reigns across the ring with an overhead belly-to-belly suplex. He later hit a spine buster for like a 2.7 count. Reigns talked some shit, so McIntyre hit the Glasgow kiss. And then a future shock DDT for a 2.9 count, a very near fall, in an exciting combination. Reigns countered the Claymore with a Superman punch. And McIntyre counted the guillotine submission type of deal with an overhead belly-to-belly suplex again. That's like, I know it's a move he's always had in his arsenal, but he's using it more and more now as a signature. And it looks great because he's so powerful. McIntyre then rolled through a spear into a Kimura lock and Reigns sold the hell out of it without tapping. And man, I mean, just the callback to Lesnar using the Kimura on Reigns, it was just so great that moment. Uh, Reigns caught McIntyre running outside with a Samoan drop into the announce table but it didn't break. So I don't know if it was planned for them to do too. I'm guessing it was not, but he picked him up for a second one, drove him through the table. Then when McIntyre recovered, Reigns speared his ass through the barricade and rolled him into the ring. But McIntyre kicked out right at the last you know, millisecond. Uh, McIntyre caught a Reigns spear with a kick. Then Reigns countered the Claymore with a spear, but McIntyre kicked out at 2.9 again. So, man, we're getting the near falls. McIntyre, yeah, they, they were really good at the kickouts, too. Like, like it, they, it, it, yes. they, they, they hit them, camera angles, different things. There they were a lot of 2.9 counts that got me. They, in WWE, you rarely get more than a 2.5. Right. Like, they, they do not go that extra mile like they do, especially in New Japan. New Japan, they're the kings of it. Okada, Ibushi, Naito, they're the best. They don't really do that in WWE. They don't no. sell it to that extent. You make a great point. Yeah. In this I, I, match in I, particular. I, I, yeah, I haven't I again, I don't watch a lot of Japanese wrestling, but I've always thought I've always thought um at least from what I've watched that Kurt Angle was the best ever at that. And I think back to 2001 SummerSlam against Stone Cold Steve Austin as well. Uh just the, the king of the 2.999 kick out. Yeah. I I almost feel like WWE tells them not to do it on purpose. It, I, like they I don't, don't want to sell too much. It's a big thing. Like that split second where you believe you actually do believe that it's over that's everything like it, yeah, it's it so is. important and instead you got one two and then you got you see a guy's legs moving because he's gonna do a 
do a big kick out. Tucking. Right. You see, you see him like gearing up to kick yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah. The the kickouts in this match were really good, and that should not be overlooked because that was that it's it's really important and it really adds a lot. It's a good point, and that is one of the reasons why this ended up being so great. So you had McIntyre finally catch Reigns with a Claymore after all that time, but once he did, Reigns fell into the ref, who then roll, fell and rolled outside of the ring. Jey Uso ran down, McIntyre knocked him off the ring apron, he came back over to Reigns, Reigns hit a low blow, Jane's hit with a super kick, Reigns then hit a Superman punch, then locked in the guillotine as a second official hit the ring. McIntyre got to his feet, but eventually he succumbed to the guillotine and Reigns won. So Chris, this for me was a WrestleMania main event on Survivor Series and not even the Survivor Series main event. This match, and I know people are going to disagree with this, this match was perfect. The match was perfect in terms of how it was laid out. The finish was perfect in terms of the booking. You cannot have McIntyre lose squeaky clean as a world champion who just won the title six days ago. And you have to put Reigns over. My one gripe is that it would have been better if the original referee you know, came to and was able to make the call for the end of the match because the replacement, you would assume, had to have seen the interference. Well, so I, I, th- I thought about that. But, but as, I, as I think about wrestling history, there are so many times when a referee gets knocked out, a guy cheats a bunch, goes for the pin, eventually an, uh, another ref comes out and starts to count and the guy kicks out and the thing keeps going on. So I, I, I will say that there seems to be a lot of precedent in wrestling that a, a referee watching backstage can't, can't you know, decide something. Can't retroactively time. disqualify yeah, someone. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with it. I'm just saying it was unnecessary for another ref to come in. Yeah, I mean, normally when another ref comes in, it's to do a count and then a guy kicks out. You know, it's it's usually not to come in and, okay, and just, okay, the guy submitted. That, right. You're right. It, it didn't need to, for that reason, like, it didn't need that. Especially because Drew passed out on the side of the ring where the referee fell out. So that referee, just as Drew, like, eventually passes out, the referee could have, like, risen up and stood up, seen it, touched Drew, and then the match is over. Sure. And I think that moment would have been even more powerful. But again, that is a total nitpick, okay? Putting that aside, this was, in my opinion, top-tier booking. It was top-tier storytelling. And it was top-tier... Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> so, Chris, I loved, as you can tell, this match. For me, it is a WWE Match of the Year contender. I don't know that it's going to win because it doesn't have the cleanest finish. But far be it for me to say that there was a WWE match that was significantly better than this. I don't think there really are. I think it's all just different shades of great for some of the, whatever we're going to end up having in our top five. This was tremendous. It should have been the main event, main event of the show. And I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to, we're going to need the listeners to send us their match of the year candidates. Cause I, I sometimes have a fuzzy memory on what else I want to consider up with there, but this is definitely going to be up there. It was, yeah, I mean, it felt like a, a late 90s main event where the first third was a bit slow, but then the second and the final two thirds were just 
fast. And for, for big guys too, like there was not a lot of pausing and waiting around. I know he puts them through a table and Roman rolls back into the ring to keep the count going and stuff like that. But there was, it, it did not feel slow at all. Drew, you know, for, for as powerful as he is, and, and we know he is, he is quick. He is lightning quick. The, 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 the running kind of belly to belly where he flips a guy over, man, that thing is, that, that is very, very fast. And, and to see these two guys, these big meaty men slapping meat, but they were also incredibly uh, agile. Really, it did this, this had a mega heavyweight championship type feel. Both of these guys carry themselves like stars. Again, I, I love that about Drew. I've loved that throughout his entire reign as champion this year, even if there have been moments and things that weren't great. He always feels like a big deal and he makes himself feel like a big deal. And, and Roman is finally at that point as well, I think, in this role. Th- this is the type of thing where like, these guys, these guys could have an all-time classic rivalry for the next three to five years if if you wanted to. I, I mean, I think there is so much potential with these two guys together. They seem to have great chemistry, talking to each other on the mic, in the ring. Obviously, um, just really tremendous stuff up up and down. WrestleMania main event quality, absolutely. This could be a WrestleMania main event one day. One other thing. Speaking of. The camera shot nitpicks. This has happened twice now. When Drew comes out carrying the sword and he lifts it up, the camera needs to angle straight so that the two swords on the screen behind him like are, are matched up even on his <laughs> sides, on both sides. Because both times it's been off center. And it's just, it's bothered me a little bit when it could be a perfect shot. I I don't know if maybe Drew's not standing straight or the camera guy's not straight. Maybe you put a marker out there where he's supposed to stand. But if if you got that thing straight on, it would be one hell of a shot. That sword better only show up for title matches. Yeah, yeah, 100%. We we, we mentioned that. I loved it for the Randy match. That was a big time WrestleMania type entrance. He should only do that for the biggest of big matches, not yeah. not even for every title match necessarily. Like it, it, it can almost be like a, a Finn Balor mask type of thing. Yeah. I mean, they just, they're paint. I, it, they're gonna, they're gonna overdo it and I don't want them to, but getting away from that, you, you did pose the big question. And the question is, do you run this back at WrestleMania either 37 or 38? I mean, the assumption from everyone, including us, although I don't even know if we've really spoken about it. I'm sure we have. The assumption is they're going to try to get The Rock for 37, right? Because you have Roman Reigns doing Tribal Chief and the family storyline. And who else is there to knock him off his perch or try to except The Rock? And I don't know if they're going to get it for 37, especially with it now seemingly going to be in Tampa. 38, I think they're going to try to put in Los Angeles. So maybe you're going to push that in a full year, if you can possibly do it, if The Rock can even do it in the first place. We've spoken about Big E as a potential challenger. You know, there's other people on SmackDown who are certainly capable and worthy and people on Raw who can win Royal Rumble and get that opportunity. But Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre, they are made to be career rivals. Yeah, It's almost like someone cloned one of them and got the accent wrong. <laughs> like they are the same height, the same build, the same talent level in terms of mic work, in-ring ability, athleticism. It is astounding 
that WWE has two guys like this at once. And it's also astounding considering how much we criticize WWE, not just on this podcast, but over multiple years for everyone that's listened to me going back from the other shows I was on. I've been very critical of WWE. But to get Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns to this level and to have them at this level, Chris, with Roman Reigns as a heel and Drew McIntyre as a face, which if you told me two years ago would be the case, I would have called you insane that WWE would do that because I just never would have believed it. I would never believe Vince McMahon would do that. To have them at this level in their current roles, at their ages, knowing what's possible going forward, this, if I'm Vince, and look, I have I talk to The Rock, hey, Dwayne, are you going to do Mania either this year or next year? Commit to me. If he commits to one, whatever the other one is, Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre, part two. I, I think that's I think that's the play. If you get the rock, you do the rock, hundred percent. But 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 if you don't, I, I think this is the way to go. I, I I imagine, I mean maybe Brock's back. I don't want to see Brock oh, Drew God. or Brock Roman again. I just I know we know Vince might think about it and want to do something like that. I I, I hope not. Biggie, if you if you're gonna put him in a title match. You're going to have to make up for lost time here and, and hurry this on up because he's only got a three, four months. This is go. about the time, by the way, where Drew McIntyre started getting pushed last year. Yeah, right. So it's so about th- the same time. Th- that's what I, this is what I'm curious. Biggie was not on the show other than to help out the New Day. You know, may- maybe they what they kept him off the Survivor Series team because they were going to get swept. So I, I think it's certainly yes. possible. Um, yes. So they may probably still have plans. But whatever those are, those will need to get started going here pretty soon. Um, it, it Again, hanging over all of this is that we may not have fans at WrestleMania. Or maybe it's a, a big place with fewer fans like they're doing football games. And maybe yeah, I, th- around I think it. we're going to have fans at Mania. Probably get some sort of fans. So I, I think yeah. you can probably get around it. Um, but if you can't get The Rock... Yeah, I'm thinking we do Drew. I, I'm thinking we do Drew Roman one more time. And you just the, the sell of this match is not one guy's the underdog, one guy's whatever. It, it, it's a you got to make it a Rock Austin type of main event. It's just two stars, heavyweights clashing, and you're going to want to see what these guys do to each other. And that's the story. It's truly Clash of the Titans. Yeah, these guys look like titans, and. Man, Vince must be losing his damn mind uh, that he has these guys at this at this stage, right? And also, also, and and I said this, I've said this all summer. You you mentioned who would have figured Roman the heel and Drew as as a face, whatever. Uh, Drew McIntyre is what Vince wanted Roman to be for years. And Roman Reigns is what we've wanted him to be. And Roman is what we've wanted him to be for that period of time. (laughs) So we finally got to it. But Drew is a great badass. Babyface champion who he's the guy you want to hang out with, the guy you want to get a beer with, the guy who seems just so damn cool, but also like nice. And, and yeah, th- th- he's he's the guy that they tried to make Roman for so long. And and if we had fans all year, I drew I think Drew would be a huge star because he was getting huge pops going into coming out of the Rumble. I think it's it's really been a shame that he hasn't gotten that because I really think it could have grown in. But the fact that he's made it through all the way here to November now, coming off a, a hot main event feud, uh, 
and he's I don't think has been deteriorated by any of this. I think it's a good sign for for the future with him too. I'm sure that's what Vince was saying after the match. And you're right. Uh, Drew McIntyre and Asuka, probably, and not, and Sasha Banks, they deserve their just due from the fans. And I can't wait for them to get that opportunity. All right, let's move on. There's a lot more Survivor Series to break down. Again, we go in order that they give us the card. Opposite order, I guess, that they give us the card. Uh, we have the Women's Survivor Series match. The Raw team, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, Lana, Peyton, Royce, and Lacey Evans against the SmackDown team of Bianca Belair, Bailey, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, and Natalia. So on SmackDown Friday, Bailey got added to the team by Adam Pearce, and then Natalia beat Tamina in like two minutes for the final spot. Compared to Raw, there was no build for the SmackDown teams, male or female at all. But okay, it didn't really matter as it turns out. Uh, now moving on to the pay-per-view. Backstage before the match, Nia Jax told the Raw team not to tag Lana under any circumstances. Lana tagged herself in early in the match and immediately got ostracized by the rest of the team. Uh, Peyton Royce got a big spot. She superplexed Bailey off, I think, the second rope. Bailey was on top into a bunch of women all outside of the ring. That it was, was an awesome spot. It, it was, but <laughs> they needed to get a little bit more air on it. It was, it was kind of a, it was almost like a snap superplex. <laughs> it was, they, it they was did, very They just violent. went straight down yeah. and they didn't get as much cushion. So they, they, so I'm glad Bailey seemed to be okay, but that it, they went down pretty quickly. It could have been bad. You know, you're right about that. And then back in the ring, she hit the deja vu on Bailey for a surprise one, two, three. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, they're, they're, you give Peyton Royce a big spot here. Uh, and then she gets eliminated by Natalia with the sharpshooter 30 seconds later. Uh, Evans uh, eliminated Natalia with the women's right. Which then that was an awesome spot because she was off screen and she looked like she absolutely clocked her. I know Lacey Evans gets a lot of crap from fans. That was a that was a very well executed spot, and I yelled. I went, "Whoa!" <laughs> when 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 Natty got knocked out by the women's right, that felt like it was out of nowhere. I was a big fan of that spot. Uh, yeah, I thought it was good camera work as well. Uh, what I really liked was the Spanish fly she did with Bianca Belair. Yeah. You would expect Belair to be the one on offense for that move, and instead it was Evans for it. So that was just cool and surprising. There was also a cool spot with Shayna Baszler knocking out Ruby Riot with the Kurafuda clutch while Riot was trying to pin her. The ref didn't see it. So by the time she let go, Riot was basically knocked out. So Shayna looked at her and was like, all right, I'll just pin you. Yeah. Now I'm hoping that was not real because Ruby sold it as if it was real. Like she actually got <laughs> choked out and, and Shayna didn't know what to do. So she just pinned her. But I think it was kayfabe. So unless I'm told otherwise, I'm going to believe that was just incredible acting. But yeah. that moment made it four to two raw. Uh, Morgan, Liv Morgan came in. She had a crucifix bomb on Lacey Evans for an elimination. And again, just like with Peyton Royce, I'm like, damn, they're giving Liv Morgan a big moment. These are the things we want in Survivor Series matches. She got that elimination. Then she demanded to fight Nia Jax. She hit a bunch of big moves on Jax, but she barely budged. And then Nia grabbed her with the Samoan drop, got the win. That made it three to one uh, with Belair remaining. Baszler caught Belair's handstand springboard in the Kirafuda clutch, but Belair finally, after powering out of it, eventually made it to the ropes. Baszler refused to release and got disqualified. Uh, Belair then fought with Nia Jax outside the ring, dumped her over the barricade just as the referee counted to 10, ruling a double countout and leaving Lana as the sole survivor. So here is my take on this, Chris. The two options we had 
the two options we discussed going into this match were let's have a sole survivor and it should either be Bianca Belair or it should be Lana. Those are your two options. They went with the latter, which in theory, based on the booking and the storytelling, we were to expect it. It was fine, except it was booked as accidental and frankly stupid. No, Lana can't beat Belair on her own, either in real life or in kayfabe. But there's probably a dozen or so better ways to book that finish and not make it as eye-roll inducing. Credit where it's due because they made Peyton and Liv look good, and Lacey Evans too, by the way, and they made it believable at the end that Bianca Belair could beat Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax on her own. So all of that worked. The build during the match worked. But all of that is going to be forgotten once people listen to this episode. Because what they're going to remember is the finish. And the finish was annoying. Was it a bit funny? Yeah, it was comical to some degree. The general outline of the match was good. But if you're going to have Lana win, you should have her actually do something. Because now what you got is you go to Raw and Lana's like, I'm the sole survivor. I deserve your respect. And they all say, you didn't do anything. At least if she had gotten a pinfall or tripped up Bianca Belair and allowed Nia Jax to pin her or done something useful, then all of this, not ruining, this downplaying of Lana's talent would pay off because you're like, all right, you know, maybe she's not the best in the ring, but she has a mind for it. But what they did was they just showed her as a, as a fifth wheel and they had her win as a fifth wheel. She was an extra person who just happened to be there. And because of that, I thought the booking of the finish was terrible. I wrote in all caps in my notes. Nope. It, it was it was so good up until that point. I loved the way the match was laid out, the way it played out. It all worked. We got down to Bianca Belair facing one on three, which is what we all wanted. I loved the the um the the, the booking of the, the the story of Lana in the, in the last four or five weeks. They really turned her into a baby face and someone you felt bad for. And they made this point when she comes out in her entrance, Tom Phillips says she's the only one on the raw team who earned her way onto the team. Nobody, nobody else did. It, it was all set up. They had a WWE Chronicle on, on her on the network. I watched it before the show. It was just basically you learn about Lana's life growing up in, in Latvia and coming over. And she's there. It's very emotional. She talks about a lot of the, the, the online hate she gets and how it's been bad for her mental health. And now that Rusev's no longer here and how lonely she feels sometimes. It was like, it was very well done. I recommend it. Um, it's really good. Look at her as a person. And as always with these things, like it's good that we look at these wrestlers as people. And so it was all set up like, okay, I, I'm, I, I will be happy when Lana does something, it's all built up. And then they just didn't do it. That's not a baby face way to win that match. That's what she's supposed to be. Maybe she stumbles into the victory and does some, but she has to do something. She earned nothing in that match. She got, she gets nothing out of it. Her character is not elevated by this. Exactly. Because the entire thing is an accident. And it's a real shame because she's done a very good job over the last handful of weeks. And everybody involved has done a really good job telling that story about the raw women's team. And then for, for for that to be the finish is just it just takes away from everything they did. No one's going to remember 
Liv got some some offense in. No one's going to remember Bianca Belair tried to fight back. This was they're they're only going to remember Lana won by accident, and it doesn't help her. This should have been the way I wanted it, and the way I'm sure a lot of others. This was supposed to be Bianca Belair's star making moment. She is a star. She everything about her, the way she carries herself, and the way they've hyped her up over the last couple of weeks. This was supposed to be the moment, and in Instead, they threw it away for this little thing. And I'm sure they still have big plans for Bianca Belair and, and, what, and what have you, but just this was the opportunity to do it. And for that to be the final decision, just really nobody involved in that match deserved that finish. Yeah, no, you, you kind of laid it out there really well. It's just, it's again, planning, okay, good. Uh, execution of the match plan, good. Finish, <laughs> ideation of the finish, fail. Like it, it's exact. It's almost similar to the Taker situation. It's just you get to that final moment where it all is ready for you to bring it home, take us home. Right? That's what they say. And they didn't take us home. They just kind of let it go and just fell flat. And look, Lana winning or doing something. You know, is it going to turn the tide of her or WWE? No. Ultimately, she's no matter what going to continue to be a marginal wrestler. She is a talent. She's very good on the mic. She's talented at kind of getting people over and being a manager and even, you know, maybe wrestling as part of a tag team potentially. But she's not going to tear the house down in a five-star match. It's not going to happen, right? But again, just like I said previously, and we'll move on right after this, you could do the same booking, the same finish, with a dozen or so different decisions. You can have her trip someone up. You can have Nia Jax get pissed after losing and Samoan drop Bianca Belair and then body slam Lana on top of her and have her get the win. Now that doesn't put Lana over either, but at least it's something where she's actually pinning someone mm -hmm. and, and she's adding a, a tally to her resume. Instead, she's literally standing on the ring steps like, oh, yeah, I'm the last one. I'm the sole survivor. And it's just stupid. Have her have her. She's told not to tag into the match. Have her get the courage to tag herself in when someone's not paying attention and she runs in and gets a surprise roll up pin. Like just it makes her look smart and aware of what's going on. She's bringing something to the table. They said she didn't bring anything to the team. And and she didn't. And she didn't. Okay, so okay, so right. Nia Jax was right this whole time. Right. So what are we getting on Monday? How are they continuing it? It doesn't. It, there's no way that this continues in a in a method that makes Lana into something that she's currently not. And they had that opportunity at Survivor Series by putting her in a big moment. And by the way, they put her in that moment to take away, not not to take away, but in lieu of Bianca Belair being in that moment. In lieu of Bianca Belair rolling back into the ring after having gotten Baszler disqualified, after forcing Nia Jax into a countout, and then having her just beat Lana. At least someone goes over there. Someone is able to build on being the sole survivor because you're going to forget about that she beat Lana. What you're going to remember is that when she says a year from now, I was the sole survivor at Survivor Series, you're going to be like, oh yeah, that's true. Yep. So 
so it, they had so many other options and this was just the wrong one for them. Not, not the booking necessarily. Not, I mean, in terms of the final person being the sole survivor, but the actual booking of how that happened in the finish of the match. So with that, let's move on to the other women's match. Sasha Banks, the SmackDown Women's Champion against Asuka, the Raw Women's Champion. From SmackDown, we finally got billed for this match, but it was really nothing special. Asuka impersonated John Cena. That was kind of funny. Banks kicked off her heels, getting ready to fight. And then once that happens, Carmella runs in, attacks Banks from behind as Asuka just stood there watching. Uh, Carmella hung Banks on the turnbuckles, super kicked her in the damn face. I was a bit surprised they didn't use this attack to give Banks an injury excuse or something for the match. It was almost just an attack to continue the attack storyline. And it was probably Carmella's best attack of the three. Not even a question, actually, it was. But Asuka as a face, just kind of standing there and not helping, even though they're fighting on Sunday, you would think she'd want a fair chance. It just, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it it set up what I had predicted, or it furthered what I thought was going to happen in the Survivor Series matches, that we would get a Carmella interference. Um, But yeah, there was not much build. Given everything else, I think that was okay. It's not like we didn't need a pretty big build for it. We've seen Sasha... Asuka a lot already. Just kind of the pitch was, hey, you get to see Sasha versus Asuka again. And that was enough for me. They went right to their signature moves and finishers in the match, which was interesting for them to go with that so early. WWE again during a women's match. And I tweeted about this and I've mentioned it many times. They either turned off the ambient noise or they just stopped paying attention and using it um, or, or toned down the volume, which made the match despite it being very exciting, made it feel dull by comparison to some of the men's matches and some of the other things they were doing where there were loud chants and loud noises. It, I just don't know why they're doing that specifically for women's matches and especially for women's singles matches. It's very strange. Uh, Asuka caught Banks with a code breaker as she flew off the barricade. By the way, I hate they, that they call it double knees when it's the code breaker. It's yeah, Jericho's move. You can call it yeah. that. Just that. That's what it is. It's a code breaker. Um, so she did that uh, as she flew off the barricade. Banks avoided a hip attack and then hit a backstabber for a 2.5. Asuka came right back with another code breaker as Banks was hanging off the middle ropes for a 2.5. There were a dozen or so, two and a half counts on pinning combinations until Banks finally caught Asuka, folded her in half for the win. That was Banks' first pinfall victory over Asuka. And normally... I'd maybe complain about them not letting Sasha win with a finisher. But you can see that they want to keep Asuka strong. That's important to them. And that's great because what would we complain about a couple years ago? How is Asuka losing even in no DQ matches or whatever the case, not no DQ, uh, via disqualification or count out? How is she losing to Carmella? And how is she losing to these people and, and, and those people? And why aren't they keeping Asuka strong? So you can't really say that a couple of years ago and then be upset that they gave us a clean finish, by the way, in the match, but just didn't use a finisher because they wanted to keep Asuka looking like, hey, she just got caught, right? Rather than she got beat definitively by Sasha Banks. And by the way, that's something, a definitive win. And this goes for Roman and Drew McIntyre. This is why I was okay with that as well. A truly definitive, I'm going to hit my finisher and pin you one, two, three, win should generally be, when you're talking about people of this caliber, for a title match at a major pay-per-view. 
So because this wasn't that, it was a title holder versus title holder match, I was okay with it. Ultimately, this was a great match. Uh, it probably is going to be 4.5 stars or better if you guys are wanting a rating from me. It may well be the women's match of the year, but I need to think on that because Sasha Bailey was really good. The Helena Cell match was really good. There were a couple other great women's matches in WWE, but in America as well. So I don't know if it is the match of the year for the women, but it was fantastic. With these two, you can always have the potential for a five-star absolute teardown. But I didn't feel like the momentum was there at the end of the match. So in that vein, I don't think it was exceptional to the level of that TLC match a year ago with all three of them, uh, meaning Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, and Asuka, or some other matches that, that we've seen from the women you know, recently. But it was great, and I'm not trying to downplay it in any way. So, you know, top tier stuff, really damn good. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see if I can compare it to some of the other matches we've seen, especially over the last few months. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's not quite at that level because there was not much of a build or story behind it. That said in the ring, the bar is so incredibly high for these two. And for good reason, it was a, it was a very, very good match. I, Perfectly acceptable finish. Works for me. It makes sense. Again, in the story where there's not much of a story, I'm fine with a roll-up. Everybody looks fine. Um, Sasha gets another win while the champion, which she has needed. Uh, and it's a good win over a solid opponent. Asuka's, you know, Asuka's Asuka. So I just thought this was, for what it was, it was exactly what it needed to be. By the way, if anyone happens to hear a weird sound in the background while I'm talking, my dog is sitting in the corner snoring his brains out. And normally I'd wake him up, but he's cute and I don't want to do that. So if you hear I, I any, did, like, I, yeah, I didn't hear it. Uh, if you hear any weird snoring noises or anything like that, that is exactly what you're, what you're hearing. Uh, okay, so up, up next or, or, or preceding it was the mid-card match. Bobby Lashley, the United States champion on Raw, beating Sami Zayn, the Intercontinental champion on SmackDown. As we expected, Zayn was basically a chicken shit heel the whole time, trying to outsmart and outwit Lashley, but he had no success. He kept running into members of the Hurt Business who were at ringside, though none of them actually interfered, which was nice because really Lashley should not need the interfer that, interference. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, he got tripped, remember? He, he got tripped yes. by MVP. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Lashley got the win with the Hurt Lock. Zayn was entertaining. And yes, given the quote unquote trip he now has an excuse that he can cling to on television that's the important thing because now on twitter because zane's a big tw uh, tweeter and because uh he is a chicken shit heel and he's going to need to fend for himself i guess on television this upcoming friday you want him to have that built-in excuse for losing they gave him the smallest excuse and you know he's going to stretch it as much as he can so um that was cool but for a mid-card champions match I'd have liked to seen to have seen some more wrestling. If you don't take the title holders seriously, I'm not going to take the titles seriously. So Bobby is a strong United States champion, but he doesn't defend the title. Sami Zayn is a smart, but also quote unquote weak uh, intercontinental champion. I don't mean that he's not a great person to have the title. I mean, in kayfabe, you would say, hey, against any real opponent where he can't outsmart them, he's going to lose. But the, the titles didn't feel important in this match. 
like the women's titles did, like the tag team titles did, and like the world titles did. It just kind of was like, we have to have this match, so here's the match. You know, they kind of made that point in the pre-show, which I actually watched uh, most of it. They had Booker T on, and they were talking about the United States title, and Booker T talked about how he brought the title over to WWE. And they basically said that Lashley's got no competition for that belt and that he's a world champion type of guy. That's not true, though. There is so much competition. I, I think there can be. I just I, I found it interesting. And and Sami Zayn eventually kind of wandered over a bit during the thing as well. Um, so I, I, I so kind of along the lines of what you're saying. Yeah, we we need we need to, to we need Lashley to take that belt seriously, and we need him to I, I agree defend it more and win big matches as the champion. That's what we need. But in terms of what what happened happened in this match. Just, just like with Sasha and in, 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 uh, Asuka, I think this was pretty much just what it needed to be. I mean, it, 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 it was the shortest match on the card. It didn't need to be any longer. Sammy made it entertaining. They brought back the Vertigo thing, which I'm glad the commentary picked up on as a reference to when they fought like a year ago or something like that. And then the end was, uh, the end was funny. The, the tripping thing, I legit laughed at it. I, it, it was really funny. And, and, um, yeah, so it was it was fine. It was again just it was it was what it needed to be, and I thought I thought it worked. So we had the tag team champions from both brands go head to head. The Street Profits from SmackDown, New Day from Raw. On SmackDown, there was a cold open to the show, the Go Home Show with Biggie and the Profits. It was pretty incredible. It was uh, kind of silly that New Day was on SmackDown and they didn't do a segment together or have Biggie make the save after they got attacked in the ring. But again, that opening segment with Biggie and the Prophets was good. Uh, you know, it was weird though. It's like, why are they forcibly kept apart, especially on SmackDown when you didn't do that on the pay per view? So, what's really the difference there? It didn't make sense. Uh, the in ring segment was also really good with all of the different characters: uh, New Day, uh, Sami Zayn, Corbin, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, all breaking the fourth wall about. Being on SmackDown one month after their farewell, the heels were arguing with heels. Lots of just good people on the mic together in one segment. And then we got an eight-man tag team match, New Day and the Profits, beating the four people I mentioned uh, with the cash out coming from the Profits for the win. So, you know, I thought it was a good build to the tag team match on SmackDown, again, where we didn't necessarily get good builds for the mid-card match or even really for the women's match. Yeah, it was the whole New Day and Biggie thing was a little bit weird for that as it was also on the show. Um, but I, I, I generally I like these guys together and I like what they uh, were doing as well on Sunday. Now over to the pay-per-view. New Day came out in their Gears of War, I think is the video game costumes yep. Yep. Uh, with Biggie in tow this time. So all three of them. I'm glad they didn't actually artificially keep them apart, like I said, like they did on SmackDown. So this, street- this, this is what I was going to say, though. How, 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 how do we not have some sort of interaction with them of like, hey, great to see you guys. I'm coming out there with you. Like, <laughs> right. Was, that, that, right. That was because it was such a big deal that they split up. And I know you, we, we, you figured down the road they'd have a reunion and and – when Biggie has a big match or something like that, but this is a reunion and they were together. So it just, I guess everybody's it's fine. Now we gotten over it. They didn't, I would have loved something to see where they're like really happy to see Biggie there 
and 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 they're excited to do something together. Well, that's what they could have done on on SmackDown. They could yeah. have like w- bumped into each other. Yo, are we going to do it up on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, yo, great to see you guys. And then doing it up is the costumes, so right. you know they had something planned. Like it's just a little bit of forethought, just a tiny yeah. bit. But okay, they didn't do it. Uh, the Street Profits cut an entertaining promo backstage with Montez. That was a, Ford. That was a really good promo. That, it got me hyped up for that match, and I know they had to do it so they could take all the Gears of War costumes off. I'm sure. But uh, that was a really, really good promo from Montez Ford. Yeah, I mean, in, uh, kind of imitating Shawn Michaels a little bit. It was great. And by the way, kudos to them. They finally got Montez Ford a blue solo cup. <laughs> yes. Now that he's on SmackDown. It's weird, though, because it's like baby blue and it looks plastic where they actually make blue solo cups. So I don't know why you just wouldn't buy blue solo cups. But OK, nevertheless, I'm getting into it here, <laughs> getting into the weeds. Uh, there was a lot of great back and forth action with the Prophets looking like they were set to win with the anointment and then the frog splash. But Montez Ford couldn't get the cover in time for the three count. Tez then hit Kofi Kingston with his own trouble in paradise, which was a really cool spot. Xavier Woods hit a gut buster. Neither of them got the job done. uh, Dawkins uh, later blind tagged himself in as Tez hit an assisted flying blockbuster off the top rope for the clean win over New Day. They hugged. They showed respect afterwards. This, Chris, went exactly as I expected. And that's a compliment because the profits going over was 100% the right decision. You had to put them over. I am quite sure New Day insisted that the street profits go over. It was a crowning moment for this tag team. You know, am I slightly concerned that now that they had this moment, WWE is going to take the tag team titles off them? Perhaps. But they've held a tag team championship without losing it since March, I believe. So you're talking a really long run with the tag team titles right now. Not a lot of competition to be fair, but it does set up nicely for them going forward. Only thing I will say is they could have given this another seven minutes uh, in the middle to do a little bit more action back and forth. And I would have put it over the top for me, but this was a damn fine match. This was maybe the third best match on the show. And that's only because the main event and Oscar versus Sasha Banks were on the show. I I, I like this more than the women's match. I, I loved this match start to finish entire thing. Tons of energy would have loved more time. I'm, I'm sure one reason they went so fast was because they didn't. Uh, I thought I predicted this would be match of the night um, on our preview show. And when the match ended, I said, Yep, it's going to be the yeah, match there it is. Night. Yep, there it <laughs> right. is. And yeah. and I, I thought the, the main event, Drew Roman, was 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 better. But this was exactly what it needed to be. And when when Montez Ford got that frog splash and he couldn't pin quick enough, and 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 they kicked out. I was part of me was like, oh no, maybe New Day is going to win this. And that that was that was the moment. And they just couldn't quite get over the hump. But then they still did. It's exactly what needed to happen. I, I like that they respect each other and all like it felt like they bring a lot out of each other. Like they are really hyped to go against each other. You know, New Day were dancing to the Street Profits song during the entrance. So like it, you get a really you get you get a big New Day versus Usos vibe out of the, out, out of this rivalry. I think it could be a rival another one. I think it could be a great rivalry if it happens one day. It's I know different brands or whatever. It's another reason, though, and this would have been another opportunity to do it since you're talking about what happens to the Street Profits next. This could have been a tag team unification 
type of deal. Because yeah. you're right. I don't know. There are, there, are just, there are just not a lot of tag teams. I am perfectly fine with the Street Profits coming out of this, getting into a feud, losing the titles, and then winning them back. But they're just, I don't know what they're supposed to do long term with so few teams. So this this would have been a fun opportunity to do a uh, a unification like we thought at Night of Champions or Clash of Champions. We thought 17 times that they were going to yeah, so do it. The, these two teams are great. Oh, one thing I wrote in my notes as well. Um, uh, commentators mentioned that, I don't know, I think it was Montez Ford might have kicked out or something out of the, 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 the whatever the, the New Day finisher is called. And they made the point that it, it didn't involve Big E. So maybe it's not as good as it used to be. And so that kind of, I, I thought it was like a little thing. I really liked how they kind of explained that. Um, the, the 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 sliced bread of Montez Ford running off of Dawkins, very cool. Just these guys looked like they had a blast out there with each other, um, and I would love to see more of them, more, more of these matches. Turn this into a classic rivalry, but it's going to be hard when you have so few tag teams. Period, and they're on two different brands. Yeah, they certainly could have unified the titles here, run it back at Mania, had the other team win. It totally Th- this would, worked, would be an but... am- man. This would be an amazing. We were talking about Roman Drew. Street Profits versus New Day would be an incredible WrestleMania match. Yeah, in front of a packed uh, crowd, they would go absolutely crazy for it. Uh, Moving on, though, the men's Survivor Series match, that's what opened the show. You had the Raw team, AJ Styles, Braun Strowman, Keith Lee, Sheamus, and Riddle going up against the SmackDown team, Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, Baron Corbin, King Corbin, whatever, uh, Seth Rollins, and Otis. Uh, We'll start again on SmackDown. Now, again, this is, these are notes I took on SmackDown, my thoughts at the time. Those have changed a little bit, but we'll talk about it. Uh, Otis got just added to the team by Adam Pearce without winning a spot, and Chad Gable took credit for it because he said he turned Otis into an alpha. Okay, but only after one week. Okay, never mind. Uh, Otis made sense, I thought, for the final member, but it was weird not to even have Biggie get a qualifying match like a triple threat that he doesn't win or any opportunity to be in it, given that it seems like they're giving him a push. Same with Aleister Black, not even having a chance to compete for a spot. Uh, Another interesting note, by the way, is that all of the SmackDown Survivor Series team members who fought on SmackDown Friday night, all three of them lost their matches on SmackDown. So you're going into a pay-per-view and you have three people as losers on your go-home show. So that was not the smartest booking decision, and it kind of told me what they thought of those people going into the pay-per-view. Not that we didn't know who was going to win this match ultimately. Yeah, I mean, there was little to no story for this team going into the match compared to the Raw team, which had a story going on for weeks. So, yeah, I mean, again... Biggie kept away because you don't want him to lose. It's fine. I don't know. Maybe, maybe have him win in qualifying, get injured, and can't compete or something. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Well, no. In retrospect, it makes sense. Because no, it, it does. I'm just saying as a way to, to as a way to just explain that he's not there. I, I don't. Yeah. Know. Whatever. In, it, but in the moment, yeah, you know, you're right. They could have had like an injured knee. He's unable to compete or something like that. Yeah. But no, because because it, it was a glaring absence that this guy who's been winning doesn't even get a chance to be on your team. So again, in retrospect, the reasoning for him not being on the team, totally great. And I'm glad they kept him off the team. 
But in the moment when you're watching SmackDown and when you're when you're following it for the last couple of weeks, you're like, why the hell is Big E not getting an opportunity? It did not make a lot of sense. Again, in the moment, in retrospect, it was good. Going on to the pay-per-view though. Right off the top, you know we're going to talk about it. Keith Lee got a much needed new entrance theme. It's actually a partial remix of an old theme he has that he used to use in the indies that he taped himself and he rapped over. So it's a small step down for me from Bask in My Glory. And some will disagree with that because I know a lot of people were partial to his indie theme, but it is a million times better than the generic music they gave him upon his debut. And I know he said they were working on it and that people needed to be patient. Okay, I think after the shock wore off of, of them taking a great theme and making it a crappy theme, everyone started to say, okay, yeah, we'll be patient. Patience paid off. This was great. The only thing I didn't like about it was just the repetition of his name. They could have just done Limitless instead or picked another phrase to use instead of Keith Lee, Keith Lee. But again, this was a million times better than the piece of crap we've been hearing recently. Um, Almost as good as Bask in My Glory. And I actually think better than the theme that he used on the Indies. I loved this. I absolutely loved it. I wrote in all caps in my notes, this music is fire. So, it it makes Keith Lee feel like the biggest deal in the world. It's a little it, Mark Henry-esque, isn't it? It is. It's just, it's like, well, it's, it's the kind of music when you hear it, you think, oh, business is about to pick up. because Somebody go here. and get their wigs split. Yeah. That's what you're thinking. I re- yeah. I, I, when his entrance finished, I immediately rewound it, watched it again. Yeah. I... At the moment, I'm not going to put it above Bask, uh, Bask in His Glory, Bask in My Glory. But I, I might eventually. If this thing gets on YouTube pretty quickly and I listen to it a few times, I, I it, it might. I mean, this was great. And, and importantly, they got rid of the beginning of the entrance music, which was the problem. Right. Because you're reminded of it. Because you're reminding. It, it, right. it, it's a great opening. But when you're not giving us the rest of the song, it doesn't work. I kept saying they just they got to get rid of it. Give them something new. This was terrific. He clearly, he was pretty fired up about it. Walking in the rain. You could tell. And you could tell, yeah. It, 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 it was great. It looked like, I think Matt Riddle might've been dancing to it as well when it was going on or something. So huge, huge fan. This was, I know this has been dogging him for a while. I am very excited that he has some, what appears to be great music now. And, and honestly, the music fixes, like, I don't care what he wears to the ring now. Nope, like the nope, music, that, yep. <laughs> like, like it was just, it was such a shell shock to see him in like green and gold and have crappy entrance music in his raw debut. You're like, what did you do to my Keith Lee? Right. And I know it's silly. Some people may be listening to this and rolling their eyes, but presentation freaking matters. It's a it just does. Deal. And you want the guy to feel like a badass. And tonight again, for the first time in a while, Keith Lee felt like a badass, but okay, let's get into the match. Uh, Seth Rollins tagged himself in and sacrificed himself for the greater good to a Seamus bro kick. So that's how they're writing him off during the paternity leave as a martyr. Pretty smart, I gotta say, given the character. I didn't think he would come back with the same character, but it does seem like they're probably gonna go in that direction or maybe a slight tweak to it. SmackDown had to read... I I think it makes sense. If If we think back... Way back to right after Money in the Bank when Becky announced she was pregnant, that was the day that Seth flipped. And remember, he was standing on mm-hmm. the side of the ring, completely in a daze, completely out of it. And then he just attacks Rey Mysterio for no reason. So I, I think it's a good 
it, I guess it's not the closing of the circle necessarily, but at least this stretch, I think, I think him starting out Becky's pregnant and, and he's in a daze and he's sacrificing himself at the end. It was a good kind of way to bring it all back around as he presumably takes some time off and uh, hopefully everything goes well for them. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back with a, for lack of a better explanation, born again type of gimmick Mm -hmm. where he seems to have found the light and he realizes he's not the Messiah, but he wants to be good. But in wanting to be good, he's actually a heel. You know, Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the version of Seth Rollins we get. And I wouldn't be surprised also, just while we're at it, if we get that at Summers, uh, sorry, at Royal Rumble, uh, or maybe slightly before or slightly after. I, I don't think, I just have a feeling, despite them obviously having the kids sooner than later, I, I don't think he's going to be gone that long because he's healthy. He missed so much time with being injured. And my guess is since they both love wrestling so much, Becky's probably going to kick him out of the house and make sure he at least goes occasionally to, to WWE. Uh, on a quick side note, very quick. Did you happen to see the Instagram pictures of them? Yes. I mean, talk about like model couple, right? Like was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy crap. Um, Becky looked good, great. Good looking couple. She looks like her pregnancy is going well. So best of luck to them on a smooth delivery. Back to wrestling and the Survivor Series. Uh, SmackDown regrouped after Rollins got himself eliminated and Strowman saw them outside. So he just levels all four of them at <laughs> once. That was pretty cool. Owens hit four stunners in well, succession. Well, actually, he he knocks them all out, and then comes back to the Raw team and starts chewing everybody out. And 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 he and they talk about there's leadership. I thought it played into the good role of this team doesn't have a direction or a leader. Can they get on the same page? I think Cole made a comment about that. Uh, like that I think they turned him face. Like that. So they might they, they they might be what they're doing here. But that no, was, I think they did. Like I think I think. Sunday night, they turned Braun Strowman face. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. But we'll see. We'll We'll find out. Yeah, Yeah. we'll find out if that's the case. But that's what it felt like. You're right. He ran him over and then he kind of like said, all right, that's the momentum. Let's go. Like, we're going to we're going to kill them. So and and that's ultimately what they did. Uh, Owens hit four stunners uh, in succession before Styles eliminated him with the phenomenal forearm that made it five to three. Riddle then hit a floating bro on Corbin, made it five to two. Strowman tagged himself in, hit Otis with the running power slam to make it five to one, leaving Jey Uso as the lone person. Jay hit a bunch of super kicks, a tope, Gonero. Uh, he tried to take out everyone basically on his own. Then the finish came, a great finish, a great spot, as Keith Lee caught Jay flying off the top rope like he weighed nothing. Keith Lee didn't even move. It was like a 200-pound man landing on his shoulders. He did not move. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then lifted him from that position into the spirit bomb for the win. So Raw won in a clean sweep, which I think we talked about as a possibility that it would be cool if they did that because they weren't getting along. So you want to go in the opposite direction of that. You want them to coalesce and win. I liked the booking. Did I love the match? You know, no, not really. I think in terms of work rate, it was probably... One of the, I don't want to say worst Survivor Series matches, but uh, it was a lackluster Survivor Series match. The booking was a good follow-up on Raw. They spent a month telling us these guys are not going to get along. And then when the moment called for it, they finally did. Faces and heels, cats and dogs all working together. Uh, Most importantly, Keith Lee got the win, not only because he needed 
a win after everything he's been going through. But it's one year to the date that he was the sole survivor for the SmackDown team, or sorry, for the NXT team, excuse me, and lost to Roman Reigns one-on-one at the end of that match. So now he got his redemption. He is the sole survivor, or not the sole survivor. He is the person who determined the victory for Raw one year later. So look, this did not come close to last year's match. Last year's match was an all-time top five ever, maybe top three ever, maybe best ever, you could probably argue, Survivor Series match. I this gotta did look, not come I gotta, close. I got to look up who was in. I don't even remember. I got to look that up. Oh, God. It was NXT SmackDown and Raw. Oh, just, yeah, 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 yeah. It was oh, banger upon yep. banger yep. of like one-on-one stuff. It was ridiculous. So this did not come close to that, but it was entertaining and they told a story. Uh, it felt more mid-card than main event. Last year felt like a main event style match. This felt like a mid-card match despite the level of the superstars that competed. So I enjoyed it. It was a fine opener, but I can fully 100% understand if people did not like it. Yeah, I mean, again, it was the opening match. It, it, it wasn't supposed to be the big one. So in that sense, you know, they told the story and they gave us moments. They gave us some moments. One of those moments was Otis and Keith Lee getting in the ring. The, 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 the I don't want the water, I don't want the bread. I just want some meat. That's what they gave you. Uh, you you had Otis and Braun in there as well, going shoulder bumps. So you know, so they gave us those big meaty moments, um, and yeah, it was fine. I, I think if you if you want the Survivor Series match at Survivor Series to be a bigger deal, yeah, I get that. But for again, for a lot of these matches, for what it was, it, it was fine. It told this told the story it needed to tell. Um, perfectly fine with with the result, and I think it opens up a lot of possibilities on Raw uh, coming out of this for these guys. It does. Now, later on Survivor Series, after this match and before the main event, Reigns absolutely tore into Jey Uso uh, while Jimmy was there consoling him. He turned Jey, losing the match, into everyone disrespecting the family and then told Jay, get the hell out of the building. You don't deserve to have a seat at the table anymore. So that's what led to Jay's interference in the main event and finally getting Roman's approval on top of the ramp after it was over. So that that match going back to the main event match on the show, um, that match was great. But the moment with Jay Uso, and I know people didn't necessarily love that there was interference, but they were also continuing the storyline and they were paying it off. And now it seems as if Jay has fully won Roman Reigns' acceptance into the family and not as an equal partner, but as someone that he can trust and who knows is going to do things the right way. So I loved that moment and I loved that storytelling and the the moment backstage with Reigns and the Usos. And during the pre-show, by the way, they showed Rikishi coaching up Jay uh, that was cool too. Just all of that together really worked. And honestly, I would have loved if Rikishi was there as well in that moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, you kind of uh, would have liked something to, to deal with that. When you, again, when you bring in all these people into the building, you know, you might as well uh, get your I money's guess, get worth. Your, get your money's worth. Yeah. Um, lo- looking down in my notes, uh, I, I'm glad that they wore the shirts. Because with these guys having been on opposite shows recently, 
I kind of forgot who was kind of on some of the teams. So I I thought the sh- starting off everybody wearing the shirts was a positive. It kind of cemented, okay, I'm understanding who exactly is fighting who and, and who's on whose team here. That was great. Um, and you know what this means now with, with, um, with Raw getting the sweep over SmackDown, it means that the uh, most dominant group in WWE is Retribution. Because <laughs> they, they beat Team Raw on Monday. So maybe they'll do something with that on Raw. Uh, you know, maybe they'll give us another five on five tag, or maybe this will be a Retribution story. I, I don't know. But um, uh, by transitive property, yeah, Retribution by- is the best group now. And by the way, not counting the kickoff show. And they didn't keep a tally on the show like they did last year when it was all three brands. But it was 3-3, three, three, three Raw uh, winners, three SmackDown winners. Not much of a surprise. Pretty typical WWE in that regard. Although last year, I think they had NXT win, if memory serves. Yes. But they were trying to put it over, so that was a little bit different. A uh, couple things before we get out of here. On the kickoff show, they had a dual brand battle royal. I missed some of the early eliminations because I was basically yeah, me too. dinner. Uh, trying to get everything going, but it did look rather typical. Uh, Rey Mysterio and Kalisto had a cool like Lucha Things moment together in the middle of the ring. Ricochet eliminated Cedric Alexander with a Snapdragon suplex on the ring apron, which was one of the moves of the entire night, and it happened in the kickoff show. Jeff Hardy eliminated Elias. That got them down to a final four with The Miz, Chad Gable, and Dominic Mysterio. The veterans teamed up against the younger guys rather than going heel and face. I thought that was pretty cool. But Gable immediately eliminated Hardy. Again, Chad Gable eliminated (laughs) Jeff Hardy. I'm popping, right? Like, Mm -hmm. holy crap. And then Dominic takes out the Miz. Gable catches him with two belly-to-belly suplexes and an overhead release German suplex. Great spots. And I'm like, holy shit. Chad Gable's about to go over. I don't care if it's a kickoff show. Chad Gable's going to win this damn match. Nope. Dominic misses a 619, hits a second 619, eliminates Gable. Gable's on even final two. Uh, Then the Miz never was officially eliminated and throws Dominic over. So look, it's a meaningless kickoff show match. Uh, They hyped me up getting Gable so far, only to kind of piss me off a little bit by having Dominic eliminate him. At least Dom didn't win the match. I mean, Dominic winning a battle royal like so quickly just would have been ridiculous, even though, again, it's a meaningless battle royal. I, I also, though, if I'm being honest, I hate the finish. Yeah, it feels like we get that finish in battle royals all the 75 percent of the time, three yeah. out of every four battle royals in every company. This is not WWE exclusive AEW, probably Ring of Honor and Impact. Uh, I don't think New Japan. Pan does battle royals, and if they do, I'm forgetting. But every battle royal company that I've ever seen that's held battle royals, they do this way too frequently. It's trite, it's repetitive, it's overdone. Again, I know this is meaningless, but damn, like you guys do at least five battle royals slash Royal Rumbles a year. You do two at WrestleMania, you do this one apparently now at Survivor Series, and you do the two Royal Rumbles themselves. Like, I ha- I bet you if you went back, at least half over the last, like, two years have had this type of finish to them. Yeah. Stop it. Be more creative. So that was annoying. And also annoying was that this battle royal, unless I missed something, meant nothing? It meant nothing. Well, like, just 
give the winner a, an IC title or US title match on their respective, respective brand. Like, and why are you having Miz win it when he already has the briefcase? Right. So it's like the entire point of this was just to get some people on the show and build up Miz some more as Mr. Hardy, Hardy, Elias, Rey Mysterio, Chad Gable. All, all of those guys could have won this. And there was others in the match that could have won it as well. Like, I, like give it to anybody to do something with them. It, it's I, so I, stupid. I, mean, I just, I, again, I, I, I don't like that Miz won it, and I don't like that it, it's weird that I don't like that Miz won it considering it meant nothing, but I don't like that it meant nothing. It's just, right. you can't have these things, you, you, you can't have, you, these things gotta have some stakes. And The, the problem I, is, it's so easy to make it mean something. The winner it, of this match yeah. gets a US or intercontinental title match on their brand, period. Mm-hmm. Monday or Friday, you give them the match, you have them lose. Yeah, it's so easy. And it and, 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 and this and we didn't talk about this with the Survivor Series matches, but um, we did a few weeks ago, and that there's no stakes for these things, and that's also very frustrating. It just just give them kayfabe money. Just tell them the winner gets a million dollar bonus to split between the five of them, and just it's just yeah, okay. They they want to win it because they want to get this extra two hundred thousand dollars each. Like just. It's really easy. Just put that on there. We we didn't really talk about it because they did tell good stories between the raw men's and women's Survivor Series teams, but it just it really wouldn't have hurt to just put some stakes on it. And again, with this pay per view, this battle royal, I mean, just put some stakes on it. Just it can me it can be nothing. Just put something on it. Otherwise, yep. it was frustrating. And the other thing I thought about the battle royal is that I would love a Dominic versus Chad Gable feud. That, oh my god! The, the, those should... couple those couple of oh. minutes they had together were. Fantastic. Incredible. Incredible. I, I, I would love to see it. Dominic every time he's in the ring, man. He's he so good. Better and better. And he's it's, like, it's weird. It's weird. He looks, gr- he, he is way beyond his years, but simultaneously still green. Cause he, well, he's, he looks like a baby. He's got, he's got literally like a baby face and he's not like, he's not, um, like toned. So he just looks like he's a tall kid out there doing things. He's not, not that he's not in shape, but he's just, he's not like, you know, toned down or muscular lean or anything like that. He's going to be a world champion. He's, he's going to be really, really good. And I would love him versus Gable. If you just give him a match for three weeks in a row, best out of three, do something. I don't know. Just, they would, they would, they would tear, they would tear it up. They should definitely have a regular match. And by the way, Dominic needs to start losing. It's <laughs> Dominic can lose. It's okay. No one's going to think like you're he, ruining he, Dominic. He, no, he, I mean, he did lose his first match after taking Seth Rollins to the limit in the longest match of yes. the night. On, on yeah, I'm just, okay. But I'm saying like, like even, even taking Rollins to the limit and losing is not really losing. No, I, That's I, know, a win. I, know, I know. You can lose. He can lose in seven minutes to Chad Gable. It's okay. Like just yeah. have this guy lose some matches. And guess what? If they're beating Dominic, it's better than beating a jobber because you know he's talented. So he's actually putting people over by doing that, right? Just let this kid lose, let people beat him, and let us see him wrestle frequently because he's great. It's 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 shocking how good he is. Uh, we'll get out of the actual show. We're gonna move on. You know, last will be our final grades and our wrap. Actually, w- one last thing on the pre-show, real quick, since I actually did watch this pre-show. Billy Kay had a couple of backstage segments where she was handing out her resume and headshot i guess mm-hmm. but she was really funny just every she time is she really does, funny. she's really funny every time she does these backstage things just like uh, just again i'm upset that they broke up the the iconics and did nothing because 
Billy Kay is really talented. She's well, maybe look, funny. maybe we're do, maybe we're at the precipice of something happening. You know, Peyton do, Royce do, did do get to, do something with her because she's Pey, Peyton Royce got a, a pinfall over Bailey, and she got that big big spot in the match. And Billy and Billy, they are even though they're not really doing anything with her, they're constantly making her a presence with the resume thing. So I'm not saying I'm high on it or anything like that, but it does seem like they're at least trying to do something with them. So. You know, let, let them fail before I, I'm going to let them fail before I criticize it. Yeah, that, that's that's where I stand. Um, the 24-7 title in the kickoff show, the gobbledygooker, who, by the way, has an equally long uh, tenure in WWE now to The Undertaker, kayfabe wise, defeated R-Truth for the 24-7 title. Later, Akira Tozawa defeated the gobbledygooker by laying out a bunch of bird feed, uh, the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> to get the gobbledygooker, I guess. Uh, and then R-Truth pinned Tazawa. So there were three title changes again, and guess who wound up with it at the end? R-Truth. So uh, so much for no title changes on the show. You guys know how I feel about the 24-7 title, but the gobbledygooker winning is kind of funny. I mean, I got to say, like, those moments were okay. And when R-Truth pinned Tazawa, he used a bag of bird feet as a weapon. He didn't just roll them up. So, like, these are minor very small positives I'm taking from something that is just truly a negative. Yeah. I, I mean, Gobbledygooker was fine. I'd love to get other people than R-Truth involved in this, but it was what it was. It was fine. Okay. So let's move on to the final grades for the show. As I said, just a quick refresher. Uh, you, the listeners, the fans, the people that follow us on Twitter, 87% of you thought it would be an A or a B show with the majority 70% saying it was a B, 13% a C. No D's or F's. We did see a shift here in terms of the post-show poll. We had, let me take a look really quick. We had, and my screen is messing up. Okay, here we go. 13% said it was an A. So only a 4% drop, but where we saw a big drop was B. 54% said it was a B. The rest of them basically dropped to C, which was now at 30%, up from 13 pre-show. D to F, 4% from 0%. So D to F, get the hell out of here. Nah, this, was not a, yeah. <laughs> this was not a D pay-per-view. This was not an F pay-per-view. Not when, look, you can have, if this if the rest of the show sucked, but you got Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns, it's not a D pay-per-view. I mean, it's at least a D plus. It's a C minus probably with them, right? But the way I look at it is, is this. Similar to the last show, there were three matches. The tag team match, the women's match, and Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre. That floated the rest of the show. Those were three A moments. Even if you didn't grade the matches A's or five stars, you would give them A's because they completely delivered in every meaningful way. And then everything else you grade, however you grade, and you come up with a final grade. So, you know, I think 54% at B, 30% at C. If you fall into either one of those ranges, I find that acceptable. I do not think this was an A show, especially not compared to the last four pay-per-views that WWE gave us. So I will give you your first shot. I'll come back with my grade on top. How do you grade Survivor Series 2020? I give it a I give it a B plus. I would have I I really think I would have given it an A minus if not for just kind of the weirdness, the long drawn out of the Undertaker bit. Like if you're just talking just the wrestling, every match either had a story that they told. Maybe they didn't finish it great like the women's match. Or, 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 and all the matches were enjoyable. Some of the matches were really good, but even the worst matches on the show, 
I thought were more than serviceable and plenty enjoyable. So um, this was a show they didn't put a lot of build into, uh, but there were some stories. They told the stories. They gave me, they gave you a good number of moments in the show and in some of the matches. And it met my expectations, which was an A minus show. But the weirdness of the Undertaker bit, I think, in, in kind of just kind of the taste in your mouth at the end, maybe drops it down to a B plus. I really, really liked this show. That's fair, and and that everyone's opinions are different. You're totally allowed to have that. Uh, I nope, disagree. You, you are. You, you cannot. You you must have my opinion. <laughs> uh, I I completely disagree. So. I want to be clear because the matches, as I said, the three I mentioned were very good to great. They were A matches in terms of if you were doing general grades to kind of figure out an average for the pay-per-view. But as I mentioned at the beginning, this show was worse somehow than the sum of its parts. I think if you averaged out the parts and gave an, you know, figured out what that letter grade would be, it would probably be like a B or a B minus. It would be a B. It would be a B. Because there was nothing abhorrent on the show. Even The Undertaker's final thing, if you said it was a D, that doesn't take tank the rest of the show, right? So you're probably at a B if you're doing a true average. But for some reason, the totality of this show for me, it did not hit the way the last few pay-per-views have. And, and that's even taking into account the last show that had six matches. And we basically said three were great and three were trash. But I think we still said it was like a B plus or a B show. This, because of the Undertaker decision making, because of the lack of excitement in the two Survivor Series matches, the mid-card match not really being much of anything, and the, the lack of the build even for the main event, not to mention the main event itself, really kind of falling on its face despite, again, the execution for what they wanted to do being good, I'm stuck in between a B- and a C-plus for this show. I think mm. B- would be a watch back. Maybe I liked it better than I do in the moment. In the moment, I'm kind of at like a C-plus more than I am a B-. I just, I, I, it didn't hit for me. And I got to be honest when I say that, because look, I think two matches on this show and if we had a tag team match of the year category, I think it would be three are going to be in those, you know, runoffs. They're going to be contenders for some of the best matches we saw on WWE television at a minimum this entire year. But it just was surrounded with a pay-per-view that I didn't really care about, that didn't feel important. When you compare it to last year in NXT, it felt like it really mattered. And then to kind of close out on... Uh, Sour note for kind of lack of a better description. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say C plus tonight, but I am going to rewatch it tomorrow before Raw, Monday before Raw. And I could see it coming up to a B minus. I, I mean, you, like you said, the last pay-per-view, three great matches, three trash matches. I think this pay-per-view had three great, I don't know how many, uh, three great matches and everything else was was pretty good to good. I mean, there there were no uh, matches. Like, I, I'm not happy with with the way the women's match ended and Lana getting that. But in the moment, I thought, and that's probably my least favorite match of the night. But I still thought it was fine. I I mean, coming out. But of that's it, but that's exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you were to average 
the actual grades, if you graded it segment by segment, totaled it together and divided, the grade would probably be a B plus or a B. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, and that, that, that's that's where yeah, and that's but, where I'm. But at. I'm looking at it from the overall pay per view. Did I enjoy it? Did it live up to expectations? You know, when I when I think back on it, is it going to be something that I'm going to want to watch multiple years in the future? The pay per view, and it's not. I'm going to go. I'll seek out the Roman Reigns Drew McIntyre match. Maybe Asuka Sasha Banks. Although by the time I would rewatch it down the line, there'll probably be better ones than that, right? Uh, the Street Profits and New Day, I could see myself going back to that. I am never going to watch those Survivor Series matches again, nor the mid-card match, nor anything on the kickoff show. And I'm probably, honestly, never going to watch the final farewell for The Undertaker again. So no. I look at it from that perspective and I say, this was not a bad show. And C plus is not a bad grade. It is above average. But the sum of the parts of the show did not live up to the individual parts. So that's kind of why I'm a half grade lower than I would be if I, again, graded it segment by segment and averaged it. I don't know. I, I just, I, I really like this. I, I, I mean, honestly, if I'm Let me ask about, you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Out of the last five WWE pay-per-views, do you think this was the weakest of the five? So what, what do we got? Survivor Series. I, I don't even remember what they were, but Survivor we were Series, very Hell, excited about it. Yeah, Survivor Series, Hell in a Cell, uh, Clash of Champions, SummerSlam, a probably. payback, payback, and SummerSlam. I, 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 the, I I'm gonna like not payback was a payback was like a work rate banger out of nowhere. Yeah, remember? I mean, th- I would probably put this uh, out of wait, so how many is that? Uh, out of how many? Four or last five? five I think. Yeah, I'd probably put this. I'd put the. I, I, I got to go back and look what the cards are, but I would put this top three. Okay, I, I think I, I just. I had I had fun with it. I I, I mean, it, it, this isn't one where it's going to have far-reaching consequences. Necessarily, we know that. I guess I just I came into this knowing that there were some every match except for the the women's. I guess the the, the Bobby Lashley match and the Sasha Banks match kind of had a story. Yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a typical kind of Survivor Series match story, but I liked the story they were telling with Lana. I generally liked the story they were telling with the men's team. I didn't like the way it ended with Lana, but I, I, I still was in, I was interested in this match coming into it. And and it, the NXT thing last year definitely made it interesting. But I can I could not tell you anything about previous Survivor Series matches uh, that didn't involve uh, Becky Lynch that that one time as well. So this was different, but I. I I, I had above average expectations for everything else, and they pretty much all hit it. And I will probably go back and watch that Roman uh, uh, Roman McIntyre match for sure. So, you know, th- this was is different. It was a one off. It was they made. I don't know. Every match felt like a big deal to me. They they all felt like a big deal. And they didn't all totally play out like that. But I was thoroughly entertained from start to finish. There was nothing in this where I thought I don't really need to pay attention or I can get up and go grab something to eat or this doesn't matter. Everything felt pretty big to me. I, I was, I'm other than the undertaker thing, really deflating it at the end, which again, brought brings us down from an A minus to a B plus for me. Um, I thought otherwise it met my expectations and in my expectations were an A minus. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was a very good show. And that's totally fine. I mean, look, there's a, a percentage of the audience 
that certainly agrees with that. Um, yeah, the, the and, right there's, there's, and there's certainly a percentage of the audience that agrees with me as well. The truth is we're really not that far off. You know, it's one letter grade. Uh, no, no, neither of us thought it was a D. Neither of us thought it was a clear A. But, you know, I, I think based on the potential, it, it didn't necessarily from top to bottom kind of live up to that. And it's and it's a combination of, you know, the lead in and the execution. And yeah, honestly, the Undertaker thing, it kind of put a bad taste on my mouth to end the show. And maybe that's why maybe I'm taking that a little bit more personally than than you are. And that's potentially why my grade is the way it is. But yeah, that is our instant analysis of WWE Survivor Series 2020. I know this particular instant analysis went longer than they normally do. Usually we try to get an hour 15, maybe at ma- at most an hour 30, but with The Undertaker's final farewell and so much to talk about in that actual main event match, Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, you'll have to excuse us. Uh, this is li- li- lit- literally, literally like a WWE show. Things went long because of The Undertaker in the entrance. Yes. You know what? This went 30 minutes longer than it should have because the Undertaker segment went 30 minutes longer than it should have. You're exactly right about that. Uh, Now, so this is the schedule going forward for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We will be back on Tuesday with a much shorter show because you're not going to want to listen to two hours of this and then another two hour show. So we're going to try to keep it uh, 45 minutes, an hour, maybe slightly over that if we need to, because we do have other stuff to talk about. So we will be talking about everything else that happened on SmackDown. We're going to be talking about Zelina Vega being fired from WWE. And we will talk about everything that happens Monday night on Raw. All of that will be in Tuesday's show. And then we will be back Thursday to break down everything from AEW Dynamite and NXT. Two episodes next week that you are not going to want to miss. Do not forget to be Marks for this podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe if you're a first-time listener. Wherever you listen to fine audio, we are also available on Spotify. Do not forget to follow the show on Twitter at GettingOverCast. And it is late. We have cracked into Monday morning as I finish up here. So the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, for Chris Benini, the vintage one, I'm going to leave you with just three simple words. Bye for now. <laughs>